Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 126 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this naturally, but of course, would be nothing less than the Unbihexium episode of the SLS Cast. Because this wonderful element, tentatively called Unbihexium, is an experimental element, but it would be element number 126. Yes. And with that little bit of nuclear physics knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us from under the desk in the conference room at the Sony campus where it was decided that there would be a female-driven Jump Street and a Men in Black crossover with Jump Street, it is, of course... Hola, Matt. Me llamo Esteem. Right on. Oh, I'm sorry. Magusta. Oh, well, this has been a very unexciting opening to episode 126. Are you ready for Cinco de Mayo tomorrow? Because that, that will be the only thing that will make up for this episode. Hopefully by the time people listen to it, they will have tequila coursing through their veins and regardless of what lame-ass shit they're listening to, they will enjoy it. Because they are completely inebriated off of margaritas. I find that I record better when I'm inebriated. So, are you I inebriated now? We did. I thought that was what we did all the time. Yeah. Is that is that not? Are we not supposed to be doing that? We used to do that. <laughs> And I think it's obvious neither of us are currently. Unless you are. No. No, no absolutely okay. not. Well, see, it explains it. It explains it all. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So, how was your week, sir? Good, good, good. We uh, did a little impromptu hike after we went to a brewery and drank loads of beer. Um, there, Believe it or not, believe it or not, there is a reservoir near the Hollywood sign called the Hollywood Reservoir, and it's like a three and a half mile walk around it. You can actually walk across the reservoir, see the Hollywood sign, and see downtown below you. It's up in the hills. And there was actually water there, which is pretty amazing. You probably Uh, discovered the last supply of California's water. (laughs) So good, good on you for putting it out there for everybody to know about. I know, right? I mean, there were obviously some people walking around. I, I, I really don't think a lot of people like to go there because it, it's a little too nature-y. You know, like that's more of a, of a nature trail or a nature hike than some of the other local hikes like Runyon Canyon and, uh, you know, whatever else. So it's nice actually walking by people and they're smiling and they say hello to you after you say hello to them back or... You know, do they do they follow up hello with "Is it me you're looking for?" <laughs> In a very sad, weepy voice. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your smile. Yeah, good old Lionel. What would we do without him? Oh, uh, probably not couple, have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, life <laughs> would cease to exist if it was not for Sir Richie. 
Ah, indeed. Well, I'm glad that you were able to have some fun doing a little hiking and everything. That's always great. Yes. I myself just oh, how was your week? Up. How, how was yes. your week? Because I, I, we yes, completely I, bypassed it last week, apparently. Oh, well, that's okay. I don't think anything really exciting well, you, happened. You was almost I supposed to remember died, something? Right? Like, we had to make you remember the penises and stuff. Was yeah, that supposed to remember yeah. Something? but I mean, you, you like, you know, wrecked your car. Like when, oh, you're, yeah. like when, when you fell yeah, asleep behind right. your wheel and you just drove into traffic and <laughs> no, that you caused a 25-car no, pileup. We talked briefly about the accident. Okay, well, if for whatever reason, we didn't already talk about the accident. Yeah, I was in a car accident almost two weeks ago, and um, I, it was definitely um, not fun. Brand new car, and it was the first time we'd ever had an SUV. Is it ever fun, though? Not having an SUV, but like getting, <laughs> getting, getting into a car wreck. Do people like get in a car wreck and thought, you know, that was actually a fun one? Well, there was a, good a time. movie about it. Um, it was the it was this terrible, terrible uh, James Spader and Holly Hunter movie. Um, oh, isn't it called Crash? Was it called? Cra- I thought that was. I thought Crash was the. Well, there, one, there's two of them. The there's the cast. yeah, I know, but there was the, another one called Crash that came okay, out like so in '94. Yes, that's what I was thinking, but I just wasn't sure because I knew there was the ensemble one called Crash. So yeah, and basically, it's uh, having sex in your car while going really fast and causing it to crash. But see, for me, even if that was something that I would think I might be in, into, that's just too hard to time properly. I mean, because the idea is, I think you're supposed to climax. As you have the accident, I, but I don't know. You have to, you have to, that just takes too much planning. I can think of at least one problem with going about doing that is that what if, what if you crash into a wall and you both die? Now, I guess the bright side of it is that if you climax at that time, that would be the ultimate climax, you know, death. But what if, like, you know, what if you happen like five seconds beforehand? So you're already like coming down from the climax, and then wall and dead. That would suck. Yeah, because because you, you you got that moment of clarity right after you, as for guys anyway. Yeah, you get that little moment of clarity right afterwards where yeah. where you know, nothing finally, was worth it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden <laughs> you're like, wow, that was a. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it would suck. Uh, yeah, but at any rate, so thankfully though I was not at fault uh, in the accident, so I have that going for me. Other than that, we also had an impromptu uh, Mother's Day dinner. I decided uh, early, obviously, because Mother's Day is not until Sunday. So just remember that Sunday, folks. This is your last warning. By the time you hear this, it's literally going to be like your last warning. Mother's Day is this Sunday. This Sunday, yes, the tenth. May 10th. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I'm going to be at work, and it's Jen's only day to sleep in. So I decided, hey, you know what? Since she's got tutoring this evening, and I've got a couple hours where I can go do the shopping and then come back and start cooking and everything, um, I did. So I made these uh, mini Italian meatloaves and this amazing four-cheese macaroni and cheese um, from scratch, and uh, you, was... your your family likes mini things. Like whenever there's a get together, there's always like mini, mini something. Well, sure, that's that's how you justify getting fat because what you need is small. <laughs> it's mini. 
So do you have any plans for a Cinco de Mayo? Are you going to eat some uh, mini tacos or mini burritos? Or <laughs> um, I, Honestly, I don't know. I, I have no immediate plans because I have to work. But um, uh, I, I might have a few drinks after work. I don't see why that wouldn't be something I couldn't do. I don't have school on Wednesday like I normally would. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, uh, yeah, so we'll see. I do have to call my sister tomorrow because Cinco de Mayo conveniently is her birthday. So Is your sister Mexican? No. Oh. She's as white bread as they come. <laughs> Pretty sure if she was to ever like expose her ass, it would say wonder on the back. Oh, man. That would be a horrible tattoo. Like a, <laughs> a horrible tramp stamp. Wonder. <laughs> But if you're going to do Loaf. it, you got to make sure it's like multicolor <laughs> and everything, just like the bread package. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyways, so that's that's what's up. Hmm. That's what, you know, and uh I guess we should jump into the nitty-gritty, should we not? Yes. Oh wait, I I have a new uh, Twitter follower uh real quick that I would like to mention because really I, I think I finally I I've hit the top. You know, I've peaked. Because of this Twitter follower. I had some other followers on Twitter, but I'm not even going to mention them. Because once Whataburger decides to follow you, you know, I mean, Wait, what's, th- what's the point of living? they followed you personally or they followed the show? No, they followed me personally. Wow. I know, right? Does that mean I get a lifetime supply of Whataburger when I'm in Texas? Probably not. Does that mean we get paid for talking about them? Probably not. But I think you can drop the probably on both of those. So, hundred percent surely not going to get an endorsement <laughs> deal with Whataburger. Yeah, I think I think that is I think at this point in time that is one hundred percent safe to say. I'm just going to unfollow them now. No, and just, just so they're following they me, but I'm not you, following I mean, I'm them. I'm just a little jealous that they didn't at least follow the show. But I mean, yeah. how did you get them to follow you? What the shit? I don't know. Maybe. Well, it could be all those letters I sent them. Oh. Like, for every holiday, I send him a card. Poems, love letters. You know, I mean, nothing You know, nothing too serious. Just about five five pages uh, mm. every five days. You know, it's cute. They appreciate so, it. So did they also follow Cat? Uh, because I know I that know. a couple weeks ago, we were all going on and on about Whataburger. So I figured that might have been the link that ended up. I don't, I don't know. Changing. Maybe. Uh, well, Cat, if you're listening, get back to us. Let us know if uh, they're following you. Oh, I feel left out. Follow me, Whataburger. I eat your food. I, I am, I'm in Texas. I'm the only one here <laughs> in Texas. Follow me at NetTwit12345, or at least the show, at the SLS Cats. Come on now. Speaking of which, we don't have any emails for us this week at, uh, to you know, sending your emails to the show at SLSCast.com. So... But that is pretty damn cool. I'm not gonna lie. Have they like actually like tweeted to you and shit? No, 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 no. It's probably oh. like a marketing thing, you know, trying to like reach out. And uh, I mean, because like someone. you look at some of these companies, and you know, they have like th- they follow thousands of people. It's like surely they don't really keep up with you know two thousand folks. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'll see, tweet to I, them and I, see what they, I'm just they pretty, respond. I, I'm pretty happy. Um, 
for me. I appreciate that. that. Well, well, yeah, that. I mean, I'm insanely <laughs> jealous because, I mean, that's still pretty cool, uh, you know, even if it is just, you know, whatever, marketing or not. That's still pretty cool, you know, because you didn't, you didn't follow them for them to follow you. They followed you. That was pretty cool. Um, but uh, I, I feel like I'm in one of the – I'm in that rare echelon on Twitter. And, I mean, I suck at Twitter, and I know I do. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm really sorry I suck so bad at Twitter. But I'm really appreciative that you do follow. Um, And I do, however, happen to have more followers than those that I follow. So I think that's pretty cool. Of course, now I'll wake up tomorrow, and then that'll be taken care of. But still, for now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have more followers than people that, and I think that's pretty cool. I don't know how many, I don't know what the percentage of Twitter users uh, that that happens for, but yeah. Now, now, granted, I mean, for both of us, we're talking about low numbers here. Oh yeah, good God, no, I mean, not, look, I, I, it's like thirty-eight or something that follow me, and I'm like twenty-four or something oh, that I follow. Wow. I mean, yeah, don't don't get me wrong, I, but still, that's I, you know. I, I'm, don't don't I be feel fooled, like I, folks. We're not trying to lead you astray. Yeah. We're not yeah, full that disclosure. We're, we're all about full disclosure. We we know we're we know that uh, seven people listen to the show. So I mean we're we're good. But uh, and it's it's really just one person on seven different computers. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, it's well, all me I, while I can, I'm editing I the can show. Personally, <laughs> I mean, I can personally vouch for like five of them. And then if you count me and you, because I know we click to, you know, we, we click to activate, you know, on like Stitcher and stuff. So that's seven. Woohoo! Moving on it, up. Folks. Moving on up. Anyhow. All right. So should we go ahead and get to the news for now? Yes. Now? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> all right. Here we go. All seven of you. It's the news! Alright, so, first up, for me, from the news, from SlashFilm.com. With special thanks to Peter Scaretta. Seth Rogen reveals Sausage Party is a filthy, dirty, R-rated Pixar style film. Yeah, folks. Sony announced a summer 2016 release date for Sausage Party, an animated film from the comedy minds of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. We've heard vague details about the R-rated animated movie. But Seth Rogen recently talked about the project and revealed new details about how seriously crazy this film is. All right, uh, and so I'm just gonna do this here for you. This is, this is this is what it is here. This is a big quote from the from the Rogen Meister. Quote, it's about food in a grocery store that believes when you get purchased, all your wildest dreams come true. They don't realize that you get eaten. And it's about them slowly realizing what happens in their afterlife. It's kind of like Toy Story. It's a journey. They're trying to get from one end of the store to the other. It's fucking crazy. It's nuts. End all quotes. Um, yeah. And, and then, then, just in case you were wondering... He also says, quote, its subject matter inherently has to do with religion. So conceptually, it's somewhat R-rated, end quote. 
Well, I'll tell you what. If this if this film does really well, I will show you my Magic the Gathering playing cards. Your Magic Sausage? No, 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 no. I actually is it have. is it your mini sausage? It, it is not. It is not. My my mini sausage is nothing to brag about. So, it's like a mini cocktail weenie. So you know. Anyway, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 but I do. Okay, so Magic the Gathering, it's a, it's a, you know, collectible, collectible, collectible trading card game. Um, and the, I happen to have a set of cards that are Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and, um, oh dear God. Come on. Don, uh, Don Don Johnson? No, 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 no. From Don Juan. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yes, thank you. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, and they are actual cards with their photos and special abilities and everything. I will, if this movie does well, I'll bust them out and dust them off and show them to you. Tweet them at you. Share them with Whataburger. I don't know. Well, I, I hope the movie does well, because <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the only reason why Matt will break out his trading cards. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I you know, I don't know anybody else who has these. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, all right. What's, what, what do you got for us, sir? We're going to take this episode down a notch. Um, I mean, which could be a bad thing, because it's already down there. Uh, a few deaths to talk about. First off... The uh, an author and a screenwriter best known for uh, his Oscar-winning screenplay *Dances with Wolves*, Michael Blake passed away at the age of 69. Um, this is via Deadline.com. Here, Blake's best-known novel sold uh, sold over 3.5 million copies and was translated into 15 languages. The 1990 film. Dances with Wolves, which Kevin Costner directed and starred in, won seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Screenplay for Blake. He also won the WGA Award and Golden Globes for his script. Uh, Michael Blake passed away in Tucson, Arizona, where he and his family lived for many years. He was 69 years old. His passing was confirmed by his manager and producer, Daniel Ostroff, who is working on a Dances with Wolves sequel entitled The Holy Road. End all quotes. The next passing here is Nigel Terry. He was 69 as well. And uh, he is best known, at least for me, playing the role of King Arthur in the film Excalibur, which is a very underrated film, I think. Again from Deadline.com, Born Peter Nigel Terry in Bristol, England on August 15, 1945, Terry trained as a stage actor with repertory companies including the Oxford Meadow Players and Bristol Old Vic. He then embarked on a prolific stage career with many appearances in productions by the Royal Shakespeare Company, the Round House Theatre, and the Royal Court Theatre. His film career was less prolific, though important nonetheless for the impact his first two roles had on popular culture. He made his film debut in 1968 with a celebrated performance as Prince John in The Lion in Winter, acting alongside Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn. 
He then avoided film acting entirely for 13 years before agreeing to take the role as the once and future king in Excalibur, John Borman's epic on the Athurian legend. End all quotes. The last passing I will talk about here is of Grace Lee Whitney. She passed away at the age of 85. She, I think she is best known for as playing Janice Rand of Star Trek. Again, this is from Deadline.com. I promise you the last, well, second to last Deadline article I will mention on this episode. It says this... It was through Jean Roddenberry's vision of the future that she would make her mark on popular culture. A mainstay of the Trekverse from the beginning, Whitney first appeared as Captain Kirk's personal assistant during the first season of the original Star Trek, appearing only in eight of the first 13 episodes. She was fired from the role early on. About her termination, she said, quote, They wanted William Shatner to have a romance in each episode with a different person, because for him to be stuck with one woman was not good for him, and it wasn't good for the audience. That's what they told me, so I was written out, end quote. Whitney later admitted that she turned to amphetamines in an attempt to stay thin, and that she turned to alcohol to cope with her frustration and anger following her release from the show. The most shocking revelation, however, came from her memoir, The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy, in which she revealed that she was sexually assaulted by one of the show's producers, an executive at Desilu. Like other members of the iconic cast, she would go on to credit Leonard Nimoy, who died in February, as a source of support during her troubles. She also made appearances in Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, so yeah, so those three passings again were screenwriter Michael Blake, stage and film actor Nigel Terry, and finally TV and film actress Grace Lee Whitney. Okay, uh, let me see here. Jump in. I've got one here from GossipCop.com. Now, generally, I'm not a big fan of gossip stuff, but um, there there is kind of a, an interesting question in this particular article. So I thought I would go ahead and talk about it here. So GossipCop.com. And this is uh, special thanks to James Krugnail. May Whitman. Independence Day 2 recasting with Micah Monroe sparks outrage. Anna Kendrick says, what the fuck? Actually, the quote is, quote, WTF, question mark, end quote. Yes, Mae Whitman, who betrayed the president's daughter Patricia Whitmore in 1996's Independence Day, will not be coming back to reprise her role in the sequel, and fans are not happy. Quote, what the actual fuck, end quote, Anna Kendrick angrily tweeted, quote, at May Birdwing is talented as hell and just proves she can carry a film. SMH, end quote. Now, this, uh, again, from uh, Kendrick. And SMH, for those who don't know, shaking my head. This is, of course, referring to Whitman's lead role in The Duff. Instead, the part went to Micah Monroe, who beat out Lucy Boynton, Merritt Patterson, Britt Robertson, and Gabriella Wilde. I'm sorry, Wilde, according to uh, Hollywood Reporter. While Whitman isn't returning, original cast members Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, and Bill Pullman will be back for the sequel. 
Yeah. Fans who were outraged at the recasting tweeted at 20th Century Fox. One Twitter user asked, quote, Why did you recast Mae Whitman? Like, really? End quote. Whitman, who stars on Netflix Arrested Development, retweeted many of her fans who were angered by the casting snub. In response to Kendrick's tweet, Whitman wrote back, quote, Man, I love you to death, kid. End quote. Now, uh, 20th Century Fox, according to Gossip Cop, had no comment for this, but... Um, what do you think, sir? Is this kind of a, uh, she's just not pretty enough kind of thing? Yeah, I call bullshit on Fox's part because Mae Whitman is a good actress. Uh, I don't know if you've seen her in Parenthood, but she I'm was sorry, really but... good in... Well, no, I mean, I agree. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was oh, just okay. saying, I, I, I think she's pretty cute myself I, I don't understand why does the president's daughter have to be what you would call a bombshell you know like she is cute she's very pretty on top of that she is a really good actress so she originated the role why not just let her carry on with it i mean i don't know exactly how big the role is gonna be uh, but i don't know it's i think it's pretty fucked up personally yeah i i agree with you bad 20th century fox bad <laughs> 20th century box bad okay anyways what do you got sir all right i know matt you are so excited for this movie that is based on plato you've been talking about it for years and years and years well i was waiting i really wanted to see the one about aristotle first but i mean if we need to go with plato that's fine i know right i mean because you play with Play-Doh as a kid, and you thought, oh, man, oh, I really mean, want to see a movie. You mean the actual, like, child's clay toy. Oh, I, oh, I didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, yeah, not not the best friend of Socrates. No. Oh. No, I'm talking about the child's play thing. The dough. Wow. The one that, you know, that you're not supposed to eat because it could possibly kill you, but yet you still played with it and pretended to make burgers out of it. Well, it's non-toxic. I mean, it is actually dough. It's just been treated with a certain kind of salt that makes it turn into to, to turns it into a clay-like substance. Yeah, that that's what you just told yourself as a kid, as because you had a problem with eating the play dough. <laughs> you just told yourself it was okay. <laughs> yep, yep. But I, I like to show off the blue poop. That's, that was you know. <laughs> But this movie has taken a lot of us by surprise. They already did a movie about Legos, and it worked for the most part. They did a movie on Battleship, which didn't work. They've been talking about making a Hungry Hungry Hippos movie, as well as a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie, although that's pretty much real steel. Oh, yeah, okay. But uh, talking to Collider.com, Paul Feig had this to say about why he was making Play-Doh. Quote, We're moving forward with the film. My company was approached by Hasbro with this property, and at first I was like, how do you make a Play-Doh movie? And then I was like, wait, it's colored clay. It's claymation! So then we had an idea that we really liked, and then we brought screenwriter Jason Mikulaf, Mikulif, something like that, in and kind of kicked it around with them. He went away and put together a pitch, came back, and it's the funniest. I think it's hilarious. Let's just say it's going to be a big movie. Big in scope. End all quotes. Matt, does that make you want to see this movie even more? 
Well, considering I didn't want to see it at all, um, I think we can put my interest level um, at meh. Does that does that count? Is that good? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much how all of us are feeling about it right now. So in, indeed, indeed. All right. Well, this is going to be my last story here. It comes to us from HollywoodReporter.com, and this is with thanks to Kim Masters and Boris Kitt. Inside a Star Wars firing, Fantastic Four problems led to director Josh Trank's ouster. Yeah, uh, I was actually going to initially just report that he had, you know, left the project. But then I was conveniently uh, <laughs> able to find this article here. It says, while director Josh Trank said Friday, uh, the article is dated May 1st. We are on May 4th. Uh, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> uh, let's see here. While director Josh Trank said Friday that he had, quote, made a personal decision, end quote, to leave the Star Wars universe, sources say reports of the young director's unusual conduct during the making of Fox's upcoming Fantastic Four movie had raised alarm among Lucasfilm executives that were entrusting him with the second Star Wars standalone film. Trank, 30, had raised eyebrows in April when he didn't appear at a schedule as scheduled at a Star Wars celebration in Anaheim. At the time, both Disney and the director cited illness as the cause, but multiple knowledgeable sources say the studio had asked the filmmaker not to attend while considering whether to proceed with him on the second spinoff in a planned series of films. Um, yeah, it, it's basically boiling down to this. The producers of Fantastic Four were uh, saying that he was erratic, uh, they're quoted as saying he was erratic and very isolated um, and that he did not offer clear direction. Also quoted as if you've got someone who can't answer questions or isn't sure or is in hiding, that's not good. Um, the producers, Simon Kinberg and Hutch Parker, had to actually step in to help make sure that Fantastic Four happened. Fantastic Four has also been um, suffering from reshoots, which is never a good sign this far out after filming and this far into post-production. It's actually caused problems with scheduling conflicts for the actors and actresses who are already working on other products. And Kinberg is also producing the second Star Wars standalone project. And so since he was so upset with Trank over Fantastic Four, he's the one who talked to Lucasfilm. And basically, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Disney, effectively, said, eh, I think we're just going to go ahead and take a pass. Now... It, it needs to be said, though, that Trank is talented. I mean, the, the article here says, Citing Trank's work on the 2012 found footage superhero movie Chronicle, an insider says, quote, No question there's talent there. You can't do Chronicle by accident. 
end quote. But Trank seemed, uh, quote, like one of these kids who comes to the NBA with all the talent and none of the character-based skills to handle it. There's equipment he doesn't yet have, end quote. And end all quotes there. So, Tim, what do you think of these developments? That it wasn't actually a parting of the ways instigated by Trank, um, but instead he seemingly was in over his head on Fantastic Four and subsequently was asked to leave by Lucasfilm. Well, first off, I don't know the guy. I've never met him. Um, I don't even think I've seen an interview with him. You know, I'm just going based off of what you read and things that I've read in interviews with the actors and people talking about their experience with him. And I think if all of that is to be true, then they made a good call. They have to protect their product, you know, especially with Star Wars. Star Wars is a big deal. You can't risk... Uh, I mean, it's good to take risks and take chances, you know, like with a, a new director, you know, giving him a big film, you know, especially if it's a creative and talented director. He or she is a creative and talented director. But if Fantastic Four proved to be too much of a challenge for this guy, you can't risk Star Wars on that. I mean, that's like playing Russian roulette right there because, I mean... If that movie is no good, you're going to piss off a lot of fans. And that can very well affect all the other Star Wars movies that will come out after that one. So, good call, I think. Right on. And as much as I was excited initially to hear that he was in charge... Because, again, this, these aren't the direct sequels. This, these are the standalone projects. And I feel that these are, these are where, wisely, they're taking the risks so to speak, um, because there there is no real expectation in terms of the canon of 7, 8, 9, or even in relation to 1 through 6. Because here, this is where you can try things. This is where you can try and introduce characters who will become new tent poles or introduce new universes and stuff like that. So, um, being that it was one of the side projects um and the the second one on top of that i don't know i i i was initially excited but again like you with with these things seemingly being true from so many different sources i am also pretty relieved on that note so at any rate, that's my news. Why don't you bring us home there, Tim? I just want to mention real quick, as what we all pretty much expected, Ultron broke some records. It took in domestically over $190 million over this past weekend, which is a pretty, pretty good thing right there. I mean, it opened up to crazy box office numbers overseas, uh, a week ago, so it was pretty much forecasted to do as well as it did. But to close out the news, something very interesting here. With the advent of of, of consumer cameras, 
a high-quality consumer cameras, you're starting to see these low-budget indie movies coming out, like hitting Cannes or Sundance, uh, these various film festivals, even the LA Film Festival, and and they're super low-budget indie films, but the quality is really good because, again, you can get these cheap cameras, uh, some that are just even hundreds of dollars, and you can actually make a quality film. But what really takes the cake is when you actually make a movie on an iPhone and a company actually purchases your film because it was done that well. Um, from Deadline.com, Tangerine trailer, first iPhone shot feature ready for big screen. And on this website, you can actually see the trailer. Again, it's called Tangerine. And it says this in the article, Magnolia Pictures picked up Tangerine at Sundance, where the gritty pick had its world premiere. In the next section, the Mark and Jay Duplass produced the film from director Sean Baker, who co-wrote it with Chris Burgotch. It stars newcomers Kitiana Kiki Rodriguez and Mia Taylor. And this is the plot line. It's Christmas Eve in Hollywood and working girl Cindy is back on the street after a month in jail. Upon hearing that her pip boyfriend hasn't been faithful during her lockup, she and best friend Alexandra set out to find him and figure out what happened. Their journey leads them through myriad L.A. subcultures, including an Armenian family dealing with their own repercussions of infidelity. Magnolia opens the film July 10th in select theaters. Um, to be fair, and I read this in the comments here, this is actually not technically the first film that was shot using an iPhone. Technically, the first film is this one called And Uneasy Lies the Mind. They credit themselves as being the first feature-length narrative movie to be shot entirely on the iPhone. So it looks like Tangerine here is, you know, that's that's like a marketing ploy. You know, saying that they're the first iPhone. And I gotta say, watching it, the quality is is pretty damn good for an iPhone. And, you know, I know I could say anything about the quality of the movie itself based off the trailer, but the technically, it looks like they did a really good job. So it's exciting. It's interesting. It's going to be cool to see people making more of their own movies because we have the techno the technology is in hand. Literally, we all have a camera in our hands or in our pockets every day. So it's pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's going to be the end of my news. So I guess we're up to our... Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim, we will be discussing the blog post by user Quint at AintItCool.com Why Dark Endings Matter or How the Mist Got It Right. And now... Discussions with Matt and Tim. All right, so yes, um, we are going to be discussing The Mist. Uh, so there are going to be a myriad of spoilers, and honestly, not just for The Mist. I was perusing this article just a, uh, just a moment ago while Tim was recapping his piece there um, about the iPhone. And there are almost 10 movies in here. And that was just what I got through the scan again. Um, that are going to be spoiled. 
So please, if you are not a super huge fan, or if you if you're someone who forgets things really easy, then you're good. But primarily, if you have not seen The Mist and you want to, you should stay away from this. You'll need to jump ahead. Yeah, because this is that is definitely a movie where the ending kind of defines the whole movie itself. Yes. And again, there are, and because this movie is about why dark endings matter, there are going to be mentions of several other movies in here. And I'm not going to tell you what they are right now, because by saying that and then mentioning dark, you're just going to be waiting for the dark ending the whole time. And that changes the context of the movie. So know your movie history going into this. Hope you've seen a lot of pop cultural hits over the years that have had dark endings. And please, 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 if you haven't seen The Mist, go see it and then come on with the discussion so now that you've been properly warned here we go um quint was referring he's he starts this article uh his blog post referring to an article about um you know these clickbait articles nine bad endings that totally ruin the movie you know all that kind of stuff and he went ahead and clicked on it um, and looked at it and most, and, and was relating how most of these blog posts and these articles that are like, oh, the worst endings ever in ev- virtually every single one of these, the mist is always listed. Now, the ending to the mist, it, it, now the mist is based on a Stephen King novella, basically. And it is about an artist who is with his son. Uh, when a mist rolls through town and these insectoid kind of bug-like creatures of varying sizes and nastiness invade this quiet little town. Um, due to the goings-on of the day, they are unable to get back home to get to mom and consequently end up in a supermarket. Now, everything that happens in the supermarket, you know, they're, they're there for weeks, you know, all sorts of psychological shit ends up happening. Um, you know, all these different kinds of camps get formed, if you will, and covens and clusters and cults and all sorts of shit, um, end up occurring. Until you are, until the uh, several of the characters in the film make a break for it, they decide that it's either now or never. It ultimately leads to the ending, where Thomas Jane is. Uh, there's four people in the car, and he's down to three bullets, and there is no hope. And so you mean takes, five people in the car? Was it five? Four. I thought there was just four. No, there's the then, older there's woman, him, his son, there's the, the older old, guy, the old, right? The old couple, him and his son. Who else was in the car? And the woman, the the, the, the lady. The lady did get out. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot yeah. that the lady got out with him. All right, because she's the one holding his son while he's uh, he's asleep. Oh yes, thank you very much. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so yes, yeah, so you got the five people in the vehicle. Again, you got the girl, um, Thomas Jane, the old couple, and then Thomas Jane's son. Now, 
Um, Frank Darabont made this movie, and Frank Darabont was uh, also the man who brought us Shawshank Redemption. So, um, if nothing else, the man has chops. Okay, so uh, the film going all the way up for me is just absolutely outstanding. Now, he then goes ahead and makes the ultimate sacrifice. There's five people in the vehicle, only four bullets, so he kills everybody, including his son. And then, you know... He can't kill himself because, well, he's out of bullets. So he gets out of the car, uh, and then all of a sudden, the, <laughs> the military comes and saves the day. So now he has literally just killed everybody, including his son, and now he has to live with that. And if, you know, you're like, oh my god, if he'd have just fucking waited. Um... And so this guy goes on and he defends dark endings as a whole. He even, and he even goes into, um, discussing how the, the dark endings in movies like The Mist or in Seven, in Old Boy, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Invasion, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, which we've covered, uh, was it, it was year before last, or was it last Halloween, Tim? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was two Halloweens ago. Two Halloweens ago, we covered the entire invasion of the Body Snatcher series. My personal favorite is the '70s one with Donald Sutherland. Um, is the is that they are important because the good guys don't always win. Um, one of my personal favorite movies uh, where the bad guys win is Skeleton Key. It is this just. It's a Kate Hudson flick. Um, it's popcorn cheese thriller type of fun but i just thought the ending was just really really well done and it was um and yet another film where the bad guys win um and i mean they don't just win oh dear god you're just kind of like these poor fucking people <laughs> so you've got there there's movies that are important for you to see because as a viewer as especially as a casual theater goer and they meant and he mentions this in his in his post you you get used to the formulaic and so you expect the formulaic and then when the formula is broken especially in such a jarring way in a movie like seven or in a movie like the mist uh especially or i guess old boy because i mean you know and not the remake but the korean version 2005 korean version um I mean, you're, you're definitely like, holy shit, man. But, so, and so I can respect where this guy's coming from on that. My problem is, is that I read the book. I read The Mist, the book. And my problem with The Mist, the ending, is not that Darabont had the balls to pull this ending off. Had I not read the book... I would have been like, holy shit, what a fucking ending. Oh my god. I would I mean, it it's shocking, it's scary. You're you're left with just as many thought provoking thoughts. Did he wait? Was there enough time? Did he have to do it then? Why now? Uh, you know, how what's he gonna do? Is he gonna have to explain himself? You know, all of these things that are just thrust at you all at the same time. But I read the book. And for me, and I don't care if Stephen King says that he likes Frank Darabont endings better. I think that the ending of the book is what he should have gone with. Um, and the ending of the book is 
this sense of complete and utter despair of never ever knowing if they're going to escape or if you're going to escape or if or or uh if they're going to escape or if they're just going to be dead or if they die or anything because what happens at the end of the book is he's been writing all of this stuff that has happened on hotel stationery and he pardon me he leaves it there and so you're reading it you know and and so he leaves it as a this is what happened to me and if you find it then i guess you'll you'll know that you weren't alone and it's so deep it's so depressing and yet at the same time so incredibly thought provoking because there is no happy ending there either it's not a happy ending it's not a, it's not shooting your fucking kid in the head but it's definitely not in any way shape or form a happy ending it is an incredibly dark and deep and thought provoking ending to that book and it pissed me off so much when i saw the mist because i thought the ending to the book was fantastic and i couldn't wait to see how it played out with them walking away but instead of walking away thomas jane just is freaking oh no 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 and he's dropping down beside the jeep wagoneer and all this kind of shit as the as the cavalry comes through and i i again I applaud Frank Darabont for the balls. Don't get me wrong. He turned down in the article they talk about here how he he turned down double the budget just so that he could get the ending that he wanted. And it took him years to get the green light for this. So I applaud that that aspect. But Jesus Christ, the book was already good enough. Um, and that's so that's how I feel. That is how I feel. I believe dark endings are important, but I don't think the mist got it right. Um. And nothing's going to change me on that, ever. Allow me to change your mind. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, okay, so I know we're not reviewing the movie, but it was my first time seeing the movie, and it the movie pissed me off as a whole, though I think as a, uh, as a take on a 1950s horror movie, that I think knowing that when you go into it, and watching the director's cut, which the director's cut is in black and white, I think that will also add to the experience as well. And I think that would go from, you know, just like, oh, well, parts of the movie was good. You know, I think that that'll, that'll be like the win all be all. Like, that'll make you jump up to like, oh, you know, oh, that was actually an awesome movie because it was in black and white. As well as knowing that it's not a full on horror movie. Now, with saying that the movie is rated R, it should have taken more... Uh, chances it should have pushed the limit just a little bit more like there were a couple references to john carpenter's the thing and i wanted it to be more like the thing where it was terrifying where when it was gory it was gory and where there was just that feeling of dread throughout the movie uncertainty and this is where that kind of ties in with the ending of this movie because I think dark endings very much matter, and I thought this movie did get it right. Because there was the feeling uncertainty, not only on top of him having to shoot his child, three other innocent people, and his child, because he thought he was doing the right thing. What Darabont did to really stick that knife in and twist 
that knife into your gut, every emotion is just draining out of you because you're just... And again, the uh, the writer mentions this in his uh, in the article here, is that earlier on in the movie, there's this one woman in the in the grocery store who wants to leave because she has to go find her kids, and she can't get she couldn't get anybody to escort her back home, and she's freaking out and she just decides to leave on her own to go find her children, and one of the guys she begged for help was uh, the lead character, and at the end of the movie. Lo and behold, who is it that he sees driving right past her, holding her kids, you know, comforting her kids, is that woman that he failed to help out earlier on in the movie. And that right there is the final nail in the coffin. That is the the second knife just going deep into your stomach. And I and it was great. I think that's how it should have ended. It was it was perfect in that sense. And there are a lot of movies like that. These depressing, bleak endings are important because you need that sense of uncertainty. A lot of movies don't incorporate that in their scripts because they're trying to please every motherfucker out there. Whenever, and, and, and this is something that I can, uh, uh, that I can rag on uh, the Avengers, you know, any superhero movie about is because there is no uncertainty when it comes to the characters. These characters are not making real decisions that therefore have real outcomes or real consequences. That can be powerful in a movie. I think the reasoning that you don't really get that, or you're not really affected by whenever there is some drama in a superhero movie, especially like Avengers Age of Ultron, which we'll get to later on, is because there aren't enough movies out there with sad endings that really push you to the limit or push a character to the limit to where you're just left emotionally drained in a good way. So you don't really get those experiences that much anymore, especially even from war movies. You know, beforehand, like watching Saving Private Ryan, for example, or Black Hawk Down, you watch those movies and, God, they can get so damn depressing because you're attached to those characters. And nowadays, if you go and see a war movie, you're just pretty much seeing a war... Well, okay, with the exception of Lone Survivor, that's an that's an exception. Lone Survivor is a fantastic movie because that is that is a sad movie because they crafted the film in a way to where you actually care about these people and what they're doing and what's going on. It's a well-made film. So again, you need dark endings to create uneasiness and the idea of no hope within the movie's story or or within the characters themselves. Now, I I too want to mention a couple movies that have uneasy endings that I think a lot of people bash these movies because of the endings. Um, Well, one of them is actually super popular. It's Chinatown, which had an ending that came, you know, way out from left field. Uh, The whole thing about incest. A lot of people didn't like that because that was something you weren't used to seeing back in the day. And then the second movie is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. And Brazil is one of those movies where... You think there's a happy ending, like the character, at the end of the movie, the character gets caught. The good guy gets caught, the bad guy has him, and you think the bad guy is going to kill him. Until somebody comes and saves the day, rescues the good guy, and for the next ten minutes, he's home free, he's in, you know, he's going off, you know, he's, he's living the happy life. No, in fact, 
the character received a lobotomy and he is still stuck in that cell where he is now, you know, a, a vegetable. And that's just how the movie ends. You know, the bad guy performs a lobotomy and he just basically washes his hands and walks away. And that's that's the end of the movie. A lot of people don't like those kind of movies, but you need that sense of that 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 feeling of being uh, of of hope, and then it being taken away from you, because that needs to transfer on to other movies, movies that do have happy endings where they have, uh, where they have like that climactic moment where it could you know you know the characters could fall in love or they they're they're gonna break up or this person's gonna survive and this person's gonna die. You need that feeling of uncertainty because you go into movies and expect that, oh, it's gonna turn out okay. And that is not good in my book. Not good at all. So I'm just gonna leave that there. I think it's a good article, and I hope uh I hope everybody reads it. It is definitely worth checking out. And also watching these movies. And screw those clickbait things all right well cool all right I, the only thing i would say in kind of counter is <clears throat> i i don't think uh what it's do sex machina right that's what you, you know hand to god basically like at the end of the superhero movies and everything where oh magically he's okay in 10 minutes it's gonna be fine um i i think that it that's that that's kind of bad cliched writing no matter what. I don't think that that's necessarily required to have a good ending. Um and I don't think that that's necessarily n- must be lacking to have a dark ending. I'm not try I wasn't meaning to be like specifically, you know, like that has to happen. But th- I think there just needs to be something more to it than everybody taking it like at you know, t- taking character emotions at face value where they're saying this person is upset bruce banner is upset because he is the hulk wouldn't you be upset (laughs) if you were in bruce banner's shoes well no shit i mean yeah i mean why you know you kind of want to i don't think so i think i could i think i I think that'd be great you think you think you could swing it i think i could (laughs) i think i could um all right cool well we 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 did take this question to our uh podcasting friends and so i know we're gonna uh we we, and so we always love to hear what they have to say and that is right we've reached out and got some feedback from three of our podcasting friends and those are the midnight movie nights johnny white trash and the guys from we are not here to please you take it away guys the article in question is why dark endings matter or how the mist got it right what do we think about this article uh i'm gonna start off with i think they made a very good point that it's important to have movies with dark endings because it makes the overall movie going experience more enjoyable uh if you're sticking to one central theme too long uh or not necessarily one central theme, but one type of movie, uh, it becomes formulaic, and and you're not really introducing anything new. You 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 begin to be able to predict uh, where plot points are going, uh, and I would imagine for a lot of people that becomes less interesting. So I have to agree with uh, the author's point. Uh, it, it does add uh, 
significant. Well, it, it does add variety to the movie-going experience. Going to the movies should be like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. Exactly. Exactly. What did you think? Well, I agreed with a lot of it. And personally, I do think a lot of people, whether they admit it or not, do like down endings. That's why they have so many versions, you know, so many Friday the 13th, so many Nightmare on Elm Streets. uh, Because people do like, people do like a dark ending. They do want that element of real life, I guess, in in the movie that they go to see to escape from reality. Yeah, it, it doesn't always work out the way it does in the movies, as people say. <laughs> True. <laughs> Life will kick you sometimes, and every once in a while you got to make those hard decisions and then just live with the consequences. And, and now, Well, I would say that sometimes it... Some movies will end on a down note, but it, it all depends on the writing. If the movie is that good, if the script is that good, and the actors pull it off, well, then yeah, the the ending is you know no matter how down it is, it's a good movie. Empire, yeah. Empire is the best point you can make. It is the the downer movie that you can have, and so this one. Well, the example in this article, The Mist, that one was good, too. Unfortunately, I have never seen that one, but the article did detail uh, the ending. So, yes, there are spoilers there, but I still want to go see this movie. It sounds exactly like uh, the kind of movie I would absolutely love. It doesn't sound like that ending uh, would ruin the movie. And and so why people are putting it on clickbait articles, uh, well, honestly, I'm not qualified to comment because I haven't seen the flick. Well, it's definitely an ending that will stick with you. Good. Just for everything that happened in the movie and to have it end that way, yes, it, it's a movie that I will actually go back and watch just for the ending. I mean, I will watch the last five minutes of that movie. So it's more of a, a work of art. It's it's not a fluff piece. Yeah, that's that's what I that's how I would put it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you liked our little babble about uh, the article "Why Dark Endings Matter" or how the mist got it right, uh, we are the Midnight Movie Nights. I'm Miranda Janelle. I'm that fracking cat. And if you didn't. Enjoy this, then. I'm Revelstoke Jim. Go Canada. And uh, I'm Johnny White Trash. <laughs> That's all, folks. Hi, folks. I'm Johnny White Trash here. Let's get into this. There is this article on AintItCool.com. It is written by a guy who calls himself Quint. And the title is Why Dark Endings Matter or... How the Mist Got It Right. And it's basically, he kind of rips on your BuzzFeed style articles. You know, uh, for example, he, uh, he quotes, you know, I'm going to quote him here. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. Okay. I have the ADHD. I am heavily sedated on painkillers. So just cut me some slack. Let me get through this. The type of article he is talking about that he is tired 
of reading is, quote, nine bad endings that totally ruined the movie or please God, someone click this random half thought out list written by a 23 year old intern who hasn't seen a movie that came out before Star Wars with the possible exception of The Wizard of Oz because everybody has seen The Wizard of Oz, right? He says the second part is what he reads, what he hears when he reads those lists. And I get what he's saying. Uh, the movie they're talking about is The Mist. Now, I haven't seen The Mist. I thought I was going to be able to carve out a chunk of the weekend to watch The Mist. Sadly, I did not. So I had to read the spoiler. And I get what he's saying. I get what he's saying. Because it is one of those movies where, you know, <clears throat> fuck it. I'm going to give away the ending here because I haven't seen it either. So it's not a spoiler. Is it? I don't know. Spoilers. Whatever. Get over it. Now, they escape from the mist. They're out of gas. There's five people in the car. There's four bullets, including the main character's son, right? And so he does the most compassionate thing he can. He kills all four people in the car, except for him, leaving him to fight the, the mist and die a horrible death instead of a peaceful death. And what comes out of the mist is a messiah in the form of a U.S. military tank, and they would have been saved. And Quint from AinItCool.com says, well, people are, you know, saying, oh, wow, you know, this is a terrible ending. If he would have just waited, and I would have just, okay, first of all, stop. If you're one of those people who watches a movie and says, well, you know what I would have done? Shut the fuck up. No, you fucking wouldn't have. You would have been, you would have been an extra killed off in the first fucking scene. Okay, there's a lot of people who sit there and talk about shit that they would do and they're saying it from their couch. So fuck off. You would have sat on your couch. You would have been the first one to go. So don't give me your shit. Don't give me your. Well, I would have. I would have. I would have. Fuck off. Okay. now this ending. I want to see this movie now. Now that I know the ending, because I like movies like that. Do I like them all the time? No. Um. Another example of a movie that does not end in a happy ending, bright, shiny bow is Requiem for a Dream. Yes, it's pronounced Requiem. It's not pronounced Requiem. So fuck off about that. Requiem for a Dream is the downward spiral of four main characters. And it just ends with them hitting the bottom. It does not. It does not depict four people, you know, going through adversity, going downhill, and then rising up above. No, just four people just to the bottom, to the most pathetic part of their lives. Their lives are ruined and they don't get better. And it is a great movie. I recommend everybody who is not battling uh, uh, depression, go and see it. Um, if you are battling depression, I wouldn't recommend it. It's um, it's the type of movie that will fuck with your head and you will by the end of it end up with a what is the fucking point of living mentality that's why i won't watch it anymore but i've seen it twice it is you know well directed well fucking acted well written and it is not a happy movie and that's okay not everything has to end with a fucking oh 
Look, guys, turns out he's alive. Another movie I remember seeing uh, in the theater, because me and my wife, we used to just go to the theater, and it's like, oh, what's playing? Oh, there's three movies to choose from. We'll go see um, the Shia LaBeouf movie. I think it was called Eagle Eye. I don't care about enough to look it up, but it was a Shia LaBeouf movie, I'm pretty sure, where basically his character sacrificed himself, you know, got shot, killed, to save... Everybody, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole plot because I barely remember. But basically, this is what I remember about the movie. He was shot and killed. It was the right thing to do because it stopped some kind of massive terrorist attack type deal. And then, then at the end of the movie, they show a picture of him, a picture of somebody else, you know, dead people. And then he's standing there with his arm in a sling because clearly he lived through it. And I just remember watching that movie and think, I'm going to go and get the home release of this movie because I can't remember if it was DVD or Blu-ray by then. Who gives a shit? Because I swear the director said, this is the way I want the movie to go. He sacrificed himself. He died a hero's death and no one will ever know that he was a hero. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with that storyline. And I swear some guy in a suit and tie says, no, we can't have the movie end like that. It has to be a happy ending. Two more endings, okay? I'm sorry I went a little long on this piece, but uh, this is the best example of why dark endings are better. And I'm using, I'm using Quint's term. Dark endings are better. Not all the time, but when it suits the movie. Butter, fly effect never saw it in the theaters bought the d the the dvd because at the time we would always return movies so late that it was cheaper for us to buy movies than it was to rent them and return them remember when video stores like video renting stores were a thing i digress i'm not going into that but butterfly effect i watch the director's cut all the time always always go with the director's cut and in the end of that Ashton Kutcher goes back to when he was being born and stra- and and, and uh, closes off, you know, strangles his own umbilical cord and dies before he was born because that was the only way he could go back and fix everything. And then I watched the movie somewhere. I was talking to somebody about the ending and the theatrical ending is the one where he goes back and he talks to the little blonde girl and you know he says i fucking hate you don't ever come live here blah 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 and then they see each other on the street one day and the theatrical ending sucked because it was bullshit because it would not work it was a nice little shiny happy bow that people want to put on it and i'm sorry i don't need that in every fucking movie. Now, if it's the cute little animated, uh, you know, dragons and and toys and whatever, yeah, I want a happy ending because I'm watching a lighthearted comedy movie. If I am watching a serious movie that deals with serious subject matter and the ending is not the happy one, I'm fine with that 100%. I agree with Quint from Ain't It Cool. <sighs> People have a big problem these days with whatever they think they wouldn't have done in the movie. Clearly, whatever somebody else did 
was bad. Does that make sense? Where they sit there and they say, well, here's what I would have done and the movie would have been better. Now, a handful of people are right. And they're usually people who make movies. The rest of you just sit on your couch, shut the fuck up, watch the movie. And if it's a sad ending, just be sad. Enjoy being sad. Because if you were never sad... Being happy wouldn't fucking matter. You need the opposites. I've gone on long enough. Thank you for your time. I'm Johnny White Trash. You can listen to me talk about shit, all kinds of shit on available in ADHD, my daily YouTube show, youtube.com forward slash team white trash, or my weekly podcast, the Johnny White Trash show available on iTunes and Stitchers. Just go or search. The Johnny White Trash Show, and there you go. Thank you for your time. That's all, folks. About that text, the writer made the point of of it being good for the whole of you know films altogether to have those kinds of bad endings because that would that would keep everyone on their toes when they go to see a movie because they don't know what to expect. I'm not so sure if if that's you know. And actually, a good point because I like downer endings, just for the sake of a downer ending for for something different. Well, and if you're gonna have downer endings all the time, it's gonna become a cookie cutter ending as well. Well, yes, but I think you have a lot more choice when it comes to having a downer. Absolutely, and because if you have a good ending, it it will typically only resolve so, in. A one single way, you know, you you watch the things unravel, and then you see how it might end well, and that's one thing. But if you want stuff to go wrong, there's like a million choices how it could go wrong. You open a door to creativity, and most importantly, to something that's gonna stay with you for a long time. Because there are yeah. so many movies that I technically love a mm -hmm. lot, but I, if you would ask me right now, okay, how? Does the end play out exactly? Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. Yeah. But if in the same roots apply, I guess as well for any kind of storytelling, like Definitely. TV, yeah. because we all kind of remember the episode of Futurama. <laughs> oh, so it? it's Jura you who's gonna bring it up, okay? Yeah, Fine. Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes, and it's just known as the episode where Fry's dog just waits and waits and waits until he dies. It's like. Yes, sometimes it can be a fucking hardship to have this downer ending, but that one is going to stick with you. And yeah. it gives you so many possibilities to be creative, to do something different, just to break out, to ex express your artistic vision. Yeah. And you know what? And, sometimes and like, life is shit. Sometimes you it doesn't work out in like in a Hollywood movie. Sometimes mm -hmm. the choice, what you think is the right choice, is going to be the wrong choice. People are going to suffer in the reaction. Yes. And what I was about to say was that the emotional impact of a of a sad ending is often a lot bigger than a, than a happy ending because well like we talked before recording I mentioned this Jurassic Park episode to you and I have seen the whole of Futurama every single episode for at least 12 times and I'm not even lying. But that one particular episode I have not rewatched after I saw it the first time, and I can still remember the ending. 
If you wanted to hear the ending to any of the other dozens and dozens of episodes on that particular show, I probably could not tell you. But if you ask me how Jurassic Park, the episode I saw only once, ends, I will definitely know. So, so let's let's conclude it with uh, one sentence of what your basic fault is of that. Down endings are really positive. And there you have it. Those were the knights from Midnight Movie Nights. That was Johnny White Trash from Team White Trash. And finally, those were the guys from We Are Not Here to Please You. And you can find them all on Twitter, the Knights at Movie Nights Pod. That is Knights with the K. You can find Johnny White Trash at Team White Trash. And you can find We Are Not Here to Please You at W A N H T P Y. That is right. And you can find them also on their respective websites. Truly, you all have a very dizzying intellect. So. I think that uh, concludes discussions with Matt and Tim, does it not? Most definitely does. Okay, well, next time on... Discussions with Matt and Tim. Matt and Tim will discuss the BuzzFeed article, 24 movies you probably missed this year, but should probably see. Now, this movie list is from December of 2014... But we will be discussing this list as all of the movies that we have been watching over the last few weeks have been on this list. And so tune in next time for Discussions with Matt and Tim. Alright, here we go folks. This is it. The last one. It is... The Movies! Yes, alright, so, um, we've got Avengers Age of Ultron, and then we also have What If, also known as the F-Word, depending on where and when you might have seen it, followed by We Are The Best. So, Tim, where would you like to start? We Are The Best. Okay, We Are The Best. All right, it's a 2013 uh, Swedish-Danish drama film. It's written and directed by Lucas Moodyson. And, yeah, um, I mean, it's got a whole bunch of people in it that you're not familiar with. But, uh, th- I, you know what? This movie is really interesting. This is, uh, it's a movie that takes place uh, in 1982, in Stockholm, you're dealing with these two young ladies, Bobo and Clara. They are 13-year-old girls. They are self-stylized punk rockers who don't even get along with the male punk rockers. That's how out there that they really are. And it's basically kind of their exploits in sticking to their guns in self-discovery and being true to yourself and forming a band. It, it kind of follows this interesting dynamic. Now, I gotta say that what makes this movie amazing are the young ladies. 
Uh, Mira Barkhammer, Barkhammer, or Hamar, Barkhammer. Sorry, I apologize if I'm butchering these names. Uh, that's Boba. Mira Grosin uh, is Clara, and then there's also a third young lady who gets brought in, and uh, she's a little bit more conservative, you might think. Um, and her name is Hedvig, and she's played by Liv Lemoyne. Now. These three girls are the reason why this movie is so good. Because it has elements of School of Rock. It has elements of um, Napoleon Dynamite. By the way, these are movies that I enjoy. This is, these are, this is not a slam in any way, shape, or form. And it also has elements of... Of the serious portions, if you will, of movies like The Royal Tenenbaums or Rushmore. Um, and it's kind of like this big, you know, rigmarole thing that's all pulled together. Kind of like, you know, Katamari Dharmacy or whatever, you know? Have you ever played that old video game? And it's, it is, this is definitely one of those things where it's the sum is more... The, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. These girls carry this film. Their acting is fantastic. And I totally enjoyed watching these characters come alive on the screen. And that is also, that is not just a, um, that, that's not just credit due to the actresses, but it is also due to the director. He definitely understood, um, what he wanted and how he wanted to see it. Um, of course, he, he was also, uh, the writer. Um, this was also adapted from a graphic novel by his wife. So, I mean, he's intimately involved with the project. So naturally, but it's, but just because you know what you want and just because you have that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the, that everything comes together for it to happen. These girls carry this movie. Um, there are some other interesting characters to be had. Uh, for me, the cinematography, I, wasn't really impressed with. Um, and I don't know that this necessarily had to take place in 1982. I think that um, that's more of a plot device. Granted, I, I having never read the graphic novel, maybe the graphic novel takes place in the ages as well. But I think that's more of a plot device to make their look and to make their behavior seem even more outlandish than naturally than it would today. But all that being said, I think that it's an interesting story that is wonderfully displayed by the actresses and given to us by the director. Outside of that, again, some nice characters, cinematography, yeah. Um, but I did like it. I, I did like it. I want to give this one 4.25 stars. I think it's a great film. You, I, I think you should definitely give it a shot. And once again, just proving why, as I've said before, you really need to get out there and see more foreign films. What do you got, Tim? This is definitely a very interesting movie because this, when the story does fall short, uh, these girls just just carry the film completely and they just plow on. Uh, their performances are honest. They're sweet. 
pretty exhilarating to watch because they're having fun making this movie and I'm having fun watching these three girls have fun and 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 see and watching them grow within the within the counterculture that you know they are trying to represent in some way. The punk movement, it's interesting because I'm sure if I was growing up during that time, I would. I, it feels like I would be able to relate to what these girls were going through in some way. You know, people that were associated with the punk movement, some of them felt like they were outcasts in a way. So it's interesting seeing this type of movie, which normally it would, you know, it, like I'm used to seeing these movies being taken place like in England or in the U.S. So it was really cool seeing it in Sweden and knowing that the punk movement really transcends every continent you know, it's all over. It happened. It took place all over the world. So it was just kind of fun to watch and knowing that it's it's there to visit. So, again, 4.25 as well. All right, sir. And where would you like to go from here? What if? What if what? The F word. <laughs> Which I guess is friend. I, I guess the F word is friend. I guess so. I guess so. Um, all right. So this is a uh, 2013 Irish Canadian rom com. It's directed by Michael Douse and stars uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Zoe Kazan, Megan Park, Adam Driver, Mackenzie Davis, and Rafe Spale. Now, this is a film about uh, uh, the the lovelorn Wallace. Who's got a miserable job, lives with his sister and nephew in Toronto. He dropped out of medical school because his girlfriend cheated on him with a uh, with a professor uh, and anatomy. Let's see here, uh, an anatomy teacher, according to the Wikipedia article here, um, with his anatomy teacher. So he decides to not be social <laughs> for like a year or something. Anyway. Um, he goes to this party more or less on a whim and then meets this lovely young lady named Shandri, uh, played by Zoe Kazan. And they, now she's got a boyfriend and she gives him his, she gives him her number. He's like, ah, I'm not going to do anything because, you know, obviously that's not cool. And then they bump into each other again. So now he's like, cool. And they become friends and, Naturally, this is um, kind of like a 500 Days of Summer thing. You know, oh, they're friends, but they clearly want to be more than friends. And they're, they're meant for each other, so let's just make up obstacles to put in their way so that they can never be together uh, until the end of the film. Because remember, it's a romantic comedy, so since it's a rom-com, you know they end up together. Um... I, you know, I, I'm sorry. It was, this one was too formulaic for me to thoroughly enjoy. However, it ekes in. It just, I mean, it just barely ekes in at four stars. I want to give it 3.75, but I gotta say, it was just really fun. The F word is fun. Even though it was so formulaic, the F word is formulaic. And even though I, found myself thinking about 
other ways to do this kind of film. The F word is film. I... I still really... I still liked it. I still enjoyed it. It's it's just proof positive that when you've got a couple of good actors... Um, and I, I mean, who'd have thought that Daniel Radcliffe would actually be a pretty decent actor by the end of the day? I, I gotta be honest with you. I didn't see it coming. Um... Yeah, it's like it. I'm, I I can't. I'm just gonna repeat myself. You you've heard what I had to say. Four stars. What do you got, Tim? Wow, four stars. I was not expecting that. Uh, this is a three point seven five star movie for me. You've seen this type of film before. You've seen these characters in other movies before. Um, very much like Obvious Child. I was comparing that one to the movie Friends with Kids. Both of them are pretty much about older people learning that they have to grow up because of a life-changing event that happens. But of Obvious Child, I said, did that better between the two. This movie does portions of this movie. I'm talking about What If Now. Does it better than these other movies that are kind of like it? Like other romantic comedies where... The guy in the movie has that friend, has that one male friend that is repulsive, that is dirty, that is raunchy, and that usually always gives bad advice. And there's usually a point in the movie, close to the end, where the two friends have a falling out. That stuff gets a little annoying as the movie goes on. Uh, Adam Driver is a really good actor. You can see him in the new Star Wars movie coming out. He's in that show, Girls. But he plays that type of character pretty well. He's very honest. Um, He finds a woman and falls in love, and he gets married. And they have a really interesting relationship. And so that brings another dynamic between him and his friend, who is Daniel Radcliffe. And um, it it makes for a more interesting uh, bit of wordplay between the two of them. Though, yes, of course, the humor, the dialogue, the -the over-the-topness of Adam Driver's friend character becomes repetitive, is repetitive, and can be slightly annoying because it's, you know, kind of the same thing over again, you know, character-wise. But other than that, the movie starts off fun, fresh, and super entertaining, but by the last act, the film falls into the regular rom-com, romantic comedy formula. The guy and the girl decide that they're together, but could it be too late? It might be too late. And... Again, you've seen all of that before. But by God, isn't Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan incredibly charming? I know Kazan from... uh, She was in the movie Ruby Sparks with her now lover. uh, I don't know if they're married or not, but they've been together for years. Paul Dano. She's perfect. She's cute. She's charming. She's funny. She has great line delivery. And she plays a great drunk. And Daniel Radcliffe, though I wasn't a big fan of him in Horns... He's a great actor, you know. He can play a lot of different characters, and he does this type of role justice. They both do. Everybody in this movie does for the most part. But I give this one 3.75. Really, the the charming two leads outweigh the formulaic aspects of this film. So 3.75 out of 5 for me. Right on, right on. Okay, so last but not least then... Avengers Age of Ultron. 
Um, yeah. If, you know, whatever rock you've been under would be the only way that you would not know anything about this movie. So, we're just going to um, skip to what we thought of it. All right, I'm sure you've seen it by now. Uh, it came out last week, so you, you should be in the know at this point. Um, all right, so... This movie, now, um, I understand that a lot of times your movie-going experience is colored by the physical experience you have in the theater. Um, and I went to my local Silverado and Santico Silverado, IMAX 3D, the whole nine yards. And I was treated to the latest Star Wars trailer, which I hadn't seen because I'm trying to keep as little information as possible on that so that I, you know won't be spoiled by anything. Uh, I was able to see the latest teaser trailer for Batman versus Superman, which I'd already seen because not as interested in that one. I mean, we're going, I was going to see it, but that's not as important. Um, got a nice, like six and a half, seven minute preview of Tomorrowland. And I love Brad Bird. So I was wanting to see that beforehand, but now, holy crap, I cannot wait. Yes. And then I'm treated to Avengers Age of Ultron. And the movie, the, the house was packed and everybody laughed at all the right parts. Everybody, no, there was no noise, unnecessary noise. People were having a good time. And when, I mean, naturally, and I'm talking about when, when things like, you know, you get Vision who is, um, who goes and picks up Thor's hammer. I mean, everybody in the fucking theater lost it. It was fantastic. Now, I definitely... And so that colors this review. This is not a five-star review. Don't get me wrong. I, it's not five stars. But this movie is... The, the prime example why Marvel needs to be doing Marvel movies and not Fox or Universal or anybody else. Brian Singer, I'm looking and talking at you. Fucking piece of shit ruining my goddamn X-Men movies. Uh, and yes, I know, I'm still the only person who didn't like that movie, whatever. Um, but this is why Marvel needs to be doing their movies. Mar Marvel, this, this, it's just, been built up so long and the payoffs were so great especially with the party scene uh right before things the, the shit hits the fan um you care about these characters they have definitely all of the actors and actresses have grown into their characters um and so you really want you you are just truly invested in how things go and how things happen um finally getting to see paul bettany coming out of the woodwork and being his own superhero was awesome. Um, I understand that there are people who are upset with James Spader's casting for Ultron. But remember, this is Marvel Cinematic Universe and not the physical comic book. So there are certain liberties taken, especially with a character like Tony Stark. And if you think about how Tony Stark behaves and the things that he has done combined with... Jarvis combined with AI and then put into James Spader's voice for Ultron. 
That's how Ultron would have been in the comic books, provided that Iron Man movies had gone the way that they had gone in the comic books. So I'm, I was good with James Spader. I thought he just did an absolute fantastic job. Now, I said this wasn't a five-star review, and I meant it. Um, there are two major glaring issues with this. Actually, there are the two major, two major issues that are extremely glaring, and one that is less so, um, that's more of kind of a minor irritant. Um, the two glaring issues are one, the regrouping at the, at the farmhouse. I understand that it needed to happen. I understand that they had to have some kind of break, and I understand that they needed to have some way to set up the second half of the movie. I understand that. But, Using this whole Hawkeye has a second life that nobody knows about um, was completely unnecessary. And look, I know people who watched Freaks and Geeks, and I'm sure they were all glad to see Hawkeye's wife was the chick from Freaks and Geeks. I, I, I get that, you know, and, and she looked great. Cool. But that whole thing was completely unnecessary and was just some back-ended vehicle to bring in Samuel L. Jackson. You know what? At this point, I think they might have overplayed the Sam Jackson card. I, I, I didn't think I would ever find myself saying that. And yet, here I am saying that. So you've got this big, huge thing that needed to happen, but there had to have been a better way. There, there just had to have been a better way. I'm not, and, and don't get me wrong, um, I'm, I'm super happy with Joss Whedon's direction. I, I know he wrote it as well. And he is talented, but I think that he just... I think he relies too much on people just getting into formulaic mode. Just like when we were talking about why dark endings matter. They get... The audience is used to the to it flowing a certain way and things happening. So they just kind of accept it as is instead of going, well, couldn't they have done something different? So that was a really big issue for me. The other big issue for me was what I was referring to. And again, I want, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's deus ex machina is how you're supposed to say it. It's hand of God. All right. Basically, that's where someone just comes in and magically something happens that magically swoops in and saves the day. In this case, Nick Fury and his, you know, helicarrier and everything. Well, I'm supposedly off the radar and people think I'm dead and I'm not supposed to exist and I don't have many friends left. But oh, look, happened to find an old helicarrier just lying around on the ground. And I'm just going to bring it up boom, through the sky right when y'all are about to die. I get it. It's a superhero. It's a spot movie. on Sam Jack impression. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, thank you. But I, I will I will say this, that uh, that uh, Kevin Feige, 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 came out and said that, the, uh, that apparently they're going to tie that all into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that comes out in the next couple weeks. Like how that helicarrier ended up showing up, I guess. So Well, that's nice. But you know what? I don't like Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not <laughs> a good TV show. Now, um, but back to the movie proper. I And again, don't, don't misunderstand. It's a superhero movie. And yes, superhero movies, they get to have superhero things that happen, just like in the comic books. Things magically come and save them or whatever. 
But we're better than that now. We're 11 fucking movies in. We're better than that now. We don't need something as trite as that to just magically come in and save the day. You don't. We're smarter than that. Please, be smarter than that. You know, recognize that we're smarter than that. So those are the two major issues. The the Then the third issue for me is I don't like how they tried to play off uh, Hawkeye leaving, um, Iron Man leaving, Hulk pretending to leave, and then trade them out for... Um, Oh, good lord. War Machine and Falcon. You know, and then of course now we have Vision and of course we have Scarlet Witch coming in. So I don't I, I don't like how they tried to I just really felt like they half-assed it. Especially since, you know, you get to see them all come in together all at the very, very end in the climax. And they're like, how are we supposed to take them all on? And they're like, together, just like we were always supposed to. And so it's like nine of them that that are there when those lines get said. And then they go right back into the climactic fight. And then <laughs> it's just the original five. Where'd the other four people go? Where'd they go? Where, aren't they supposed to be there too? But they're not. So you have that. And then, of course, everybody's trying to leave. And I didn't appreciate the way they closed off the whole um, Black Widow, Incredible Hulk thing. Um, I like that they explored it. Don't get me wrong. But it seemed just kind of cheap how they ended it. So those are my issues with this film. To that end... It's still four and a half stars. I had an, and, and it's all carried on my theater experience, which was absolutely fucking fantastic. And everybody, it clearly, as Tim uh, has already pointed out, it's made, you know, 200 gajillion dollars already and it's been out for like five days. So I think everybody's already seen it. But my God, it was just awesome. I had such a great time. I can't wait to have a date night with Jen and get to take her to go back and see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. How romantic. <laughs> oh, please. She is all about Captain America, bro. Really? If I tell her Chris Evans is in it, it could probably be just two hours of Chris Evans raking leaves and she would just go. Even better. You you have ten minutes of Chris Evans chopping wood. <laughs> Until he starts ripping the logs apart. Yeah. So, anyway, so there you go. So, bring us home, sir. 4.5 was Matt's. Keep that in mind, because I'm not close to that. Full disclosure, my theater-going experience wasn't as glamorous as Matt's. Mine, I was sitting next to a loud motherfucker eating and snorting and all this shit just for the first hour and 40 minutes of the movie. Could that have clouded my judgment of the film? Possibly. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I will definitely give this movie another shot, but that's how I felt with some of the other Marvel movies I've seen that I didn't really care for it too much the first time I saw it. Went back and saw it again, and I felt the exact same way. But I will be fair and see this movie again. Regardless, I'm still going to have to review it. And this is my review. 
Now, I can say that this movie was overlong, tiresome. Um, the movie left you drained, not in a good way. This movie was 141 minutes. The Avengers is 143 minutes, and Dark Knight Rises was 865 minutes. So these movies necessarily don't have to be super long. All these movies, what do they have in common? They have a long-ass final act. And it's just tiresome. We've seen it all before, especially with Man of Steel. You know, the city gets destroyed. New York gets destroyed in the first Avengers. Now... An entire city is being raised to the heavens to be used to destroy the world. So a city is used as a weapon. The physical city is being used as a weapon. In theory, because this is a crazy, you know, mashup of superheroes in this one grand movie, that could play out and make sense. So I can't really dog it too much, but it's how they go about doing it where the problem lies. Now I could talk about that. Or I could talk about how there's so much goddamn exposition in this movie, it's annoying. Now if it only happened in this movie, because the plot is way out there, there's a lot of technology in this movie that is pretty stupid. I mean, it's stupid as in how like far-fetched it is. It's, it's kind of ridiculous that they constantly have to explain what's going on. And the, to me, this is a problem. Again, I understand superhero movies, but it's every single one of these has this issue. This happens. First Avengers, this happens. Somebody explaining stuff. Captain America Winter Soldier, to a lesser degree, people have you know are explaining stuff. Thor movies, people are explaining stuff. So it happens constantly in these Marvel films. Needless to say, there are a lot of talented people in these movies, but they all have lengthy contracts. We all know Tony Stark himself, Robert Downey Jr., is ready to move on. Chris Evans has admitted that he is ready to move on. And I think it shows in some way in their performances. I don't know if it's because of you know how the characters are in this movie, but... Because of what I hear, have heard in, in interviews, same thing with Chris Hemsworth, you know? They're ready to move on. This is very tiresome for them. They're tired of doing... You can tell that they're kind of tired of doing this the same shtick all the time, talking about the same characters, having to keep secrets, just stuff like that. It's too routine. I know Chris Evans wants to go off and act in more serious roles and direct films because he's an accomplished director already. He wants to move on from being Captain America. And it's obvious. And there's also all the interplay throughout the action scenes. You, you can't just have a, a bitchin' awesome action scene play out. Once they take down a character, they have to make all these side comments to one another. And sometimes it works. You know, like Joss Whedon, at times, he can be the king at one-liners. But not every line succeeds. You know, that he there are a number of failures. And when something is a bomb that doesn't work, it takes you out of the moment. So you have this grandiose action scene with all these characters making all these comments. It can get a little frustrating and annoying because you're taken out of the moment, especially when it's exposition. 
And again, there's exposition through this entire movie telling you exactly what to expect, how to feel, and precisely what is about to happen. So you are fully there, or you know, at least you think you're fully there until you go back and try to analyze what the hell just happened and you realize that nothing makes sense whatsoever. <laughs> but then again, I understand it's a superhero movie. It's not supposed to make sense at times, or it's supposed to be a little out there. What really gets to me, it would be one thing if it just happened in a couple of these movies, but like Matt said, we're 11 movies in, and still, each movie is about the next movie. You can't have a standalone movie. What was great about Captain America Winter Soldier, it felt like a standalone movie, until the the crazy bombastic ending, where they kind of had to tie some stuff together, and you had the big action set piece. It still felt like an authentic standalone film which is nice and that's what i wanted from this one yes i know this movie has to tie into thor ragnarok and captain america's civil war which will eventually lead to um the infinity war and whatnot i i get that i i understand that but still there's so like basically thor's character is being set up for the next thor movie that is basically what is going on captain america and tony stark's a relationship, it's being set up for Captain America Civil War. So they're always gearing up for the next movie without like just having any, having breathing room, you know, having things to settle and let the audience enjoy the ride that they're currently on. Also, nothing is at stake. You know, I mentioned this earlier on when we were talking about The Mist. Nothing is at stake. You know, do you really care if a character dies? Well, the character that they chose to die, not so much. But the fact that they have a sibling is supposed to make you feel sad. And that doesn't necessarily work. At least for me, it didn't work. And the people around me, it didn't work. Because nobody shed any tears. Nobody was taken aback by what happened. The movie just went on and eventually ended. Did we really care about Ultron? Not really. I mean, Ultron was a smart talker, like Tony Stark. He knew exactly what he was saying. He had the exposition downright. But that doesn't mean we care about that character. Then why do we have this Shakespearean ending for Ultron when, you know, it doesn't really work? I mean, the one character that could have been something, uh, a, a nice, uh, like a breath of fresh air, was Vision. It felt like they were kind of going the, the Dr. Manhattan route with him. You know, like he's a powerful being, and he knows that he can downright ruin people. But he has to live with knowing that he can do that and not actually do it. But they don't even really follow through with that either. Full disclosure again. I'm not familiar with that character or these comics, so I, I don't know. I guess I'm just speaking from, like, you know, how how fresh and how nice that would have been. And I can go on some more, but I will end this with saying that I think the trouble lies within the community of fans. Because fan, certain fans demand more. Therefore, marketing you know, the mar people who market these films will supply more for those fans. And consumers and marketing towards an already devoted fan base 
ruins this movie. So much was spoiled through the promotional stills, through the trailers, through the promos that could have been kept under wraps. And it would have been nice for Vision to have been a surprise in the movie, you know? Like, that would have been a great, like, oh, hey, this character's going to be here. And it could have happened because the 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 still, the picture of Vision didn't even, you know, debut until, like, a few weeks ago. So it could have happened. The Hulkbuster, we knew what the Hulkbuster was going to be like ages ago. And that was kind of like a centerpiece, you know, a, you know, a major focal point in the film. And there was nothing really spectacular about it anymore because you're bombarded with merchandising, with with uh, with commercialism, with marketing all the time for this product that it doesn't it didn't feel fresh and fun and new and surprising or exciting when you see it on the screen, and that is what kind of killed it for me. You know, and that's why I like with Star Wars, they're trying to keep things under wraps. But still, people keep searching for the next thing to, you know, that, that'll go viral and to make their website a hit. So everybody wants to see that costume. They want to know that piece of the story. And to me, it ruins it for, for a number of people. I prefer X-Men. Just to get that jab in right there for Matt. So uh, I give this one 2.75. I'll let you know what I think uh, after I see it again. So, But that's where I stand for right now. 2.75 out of 5. All right, let me ask you a question. So you're going on about all this marketing and everything. Um, and did you... So did you see the Vision thing? Did you go in and see all the Hulkbuster stuff? And did you see all this stuff before the movie? Not... I didn't... I wasn't choosing to look at it. But what I'm saying is that, like, they... Like, whenever you go onto a movie website... You know, like for the show, like looking for news pieces, you know, as you're scrolling down the website, you're bound to see pictures of it. Not necessarily, you know, you, you choose to click the article, but it's just there. You know, you hear mm. people talking about it. So it's just constantly hearing about it. And Vision popped up on the cover of some magazine. I forgot. So I guess my little insulated bubble works for me because <laughs> I didn't get any of those spoilers uh, all of that stuff, and it's the same again. Like I said, with Star Wars, I'm I, whenever I even see something new, Star immediately I just pass it. You know, I won't look at it. I don't click on it. Um, you know, if I'm doing searches and then like a related search comes up and it's related to that, I'm just like, nope, not because. And it's that, and that is why. Because if you're not careful, the whole fucking thing will get spoiled for you. Exactly. And um, also, I live in L.A. So. where. No, it's you know, a little harder for you. This is yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Like they did, they did the premiere just like two blocks away. So there's just Avengers shit all over the place. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. And and it was a lot of fun for me too at Disney World because they were plugging the fuck out of it there too. Oh yeah, sure. When I was there last month. So, all right, cool. Well, it is what it is. Um, so he likes the X Men and I like the Avengers and that's that's how it works. That's that's why we have this show so that there can actually be a difference of opinion every once in a while. All right, so next week the movies are Love Is Strange, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, and Left Behind. That's right, we're doing it. We haven't done a Nick Cage movie for like a month, so it's time to do the new Nick Cage film. So we're doing the one from 2014, not the one from like 2004 or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And I guess that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? 
Spiel on. All right, the music you've been listening to for the segment intros has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we, of course, are the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can even send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can get a hold of Waterburger and find out what Tim's Twitter handle is since they follow him. And, of course, you can subscribe to us on on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. And special thanks again to all of our podcast friends who helped us out with our discussion segment this afternoon or evening or whenever you're listening to it. So until next week, this here is Matt saying that thanks to Will Rogers, I get to say this. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Adios, cinephiles. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.